Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Gaina Lynn Condi. Welcome to the podcast. So happy to be back. Um, this is the second time we've had, I'm going to call you Sister Condi at times and probably Gaina Lynn. You can call me whatever you want. On the podcast. And I just, we have stayed in contact and I just recognize the great work um, Gaina Lynn is doing and I wanted to have her on the podcast. And just by way of background, I think most of our listeners know Sister Condi. She's been kind of speaking and talking about beautiful parts of our restored doctrine, but also kind of the tender, more difficult topics for about five years now. She's written seven books. She's had over 860 speaking assignments. And so her voice and the things that she shares has been felt far and wide in our church. And we're grateful for her insights and just stepping into this space of being a voice of understanding and helping people to come unto Christ. So thank you for your great work. And right back at you, brother. Thank you. Let's start with, we're going to do four parts of this podcast. I'll just briefly outline them for our listeners. We're going to talk about your efforts with Come Follow Me, a video series, Instagram TV, YouTube, and kind of um, the genesis behind that. We're going to talk about why I stay, and that would be in our body for those of you that are suicidal, in our marriage for those of you that are wondering if your marriage can work, church. Um, as part of that, we're also going to talk about the difference between policy, doctrine, and culture. Then we're going to talk about um, your podcast that you've started called the Reconnect Podcast. That's number three. And number four, we're going to talk about our millennials. I notice when you speak, you're with millennials a lot. And I just recognize with all the speaking you've done and all the interaction you've had with millennials, you have great insight into that group. So we're going to have you kind of talk about that group and how those of us that aren't millennials can meet their needs and kind of bring us into the world of an LDS millennial, what they're thinking and what they're feeling and how we can better meet the needs. And maybe more so men, um, our millennial men, because you have unique insights there. So we'll get started back on number one. Talk about what you're doing with the Come Follow Me video series. Well, there's a lot of podcasters and bloggers that are kind of tackling this new gospel-centered home instruction uh, program that's been spearheaded and launched with the church. And I, and I think that's so wonderful because there's so many voices and different personalities and perspectives on certain things that we, we all have something to contribute to that. And so I like to say, I may not be, you know, a Brigham Young University scriptorian professor, but I definitely try to approach, um, my video content as how to liken the scriptures. And I think the other thing that's I've, I'm hearing, especially from moms, is that they're a little overwhelmed that the programs, I was just talking to a mom today that said, you know, as much as all the checklist, pharisaical programs that are kind of going by the wayside, it's great to see that change. And this new focus from President Nelson to be very spirit-directed, it can be overwhelming. And I and I hear a lot of moms that are like combing through Pinterest, trying to figure out how to do Come Follow Me in their home. And this pressure of like, now there's not this checklist, so what does it look like? And how do we how do we incorporate um, one more thing into our already busy schedules? And so I think one of the big weapons that the adversary uses with me and in the speaking I do and the people I meet all over the world is either one, he makes us um, feel that we're 
all is well in Zion and we don't even try. We're not even recognizing the enemy around us. Or number two, we go way beyond the mark and we become pharisaical checklisters off of Pinterest. And then when we don't meet the standard in our head of what we think it's supposed to look like, we quit because we're discouraged that our children aren't sitting down for quality gospel discussion and everyone didn't read first and second Timothy and Titus and Philemon from last week, which by the way, that was like 11 chapters that I always try to read everything before I get on and do a 10 minute video on Instagram. And so I just want to validate that when we're going to the Lord, he's going to direct to us what is right for our family. And I don't think that means he sends us a report at the end of the week and said, you hit all the marks here and you need to up it over here. And so it it's like, are we really doing what the Lord, I had a breakdown this morning. Anyone that watches my women of worth, um, show on fa- Facebook with high five live knows that sometimes I show up like the no makeup and the ugly snot cry. And that's what you got this morning because I too struggle to feel like I'm doing everything well enough but Heavenly Father, I'm not feeling like I'm doing anything my best, right? That good, better, best talk was wonderful and horrible in some ways because I want to hit the best mark all the time. I don't want to do goods and betters when I know there's always a best. And yet really what grace is about is that like we try. And 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 I love that come follow me is spirit directed because I think the Lord is clearly trying to help us rely on him above all else. And when we do that, then the spirit can direct us uniquely for our families or our situations. And then we, you know, for so many years, I think both you and I have heard stories of people that say, I don't fit into this culture and I don't fit. I don't, my family doesn't look like this. And, and I haven't made the same choices. I don't dress. I don't vote. I don't, I don't want to have the same wreath on my door that every other f- house has on the street in Utah. Right. And yet then we're given these opportunities to really go to the Lord and say, what do you want for our family? And we still fall into the trap of it's not looking the way we think everyone else is doing it. And, and I, I really am grateful that we have a living prophet on the earth that's saying the most important thing that we can be right now is spirit directed. And that's a muscle that we're all working on. And so I think come follow me is just one of those ways. When I share a message around the reading, um, you know, I'm not afraid to tackle the uncomfortable subjects. I ironically was asked to substitute teach gospel doctrine Sunday, and we had just finished reading first Timothy. So I said, elephant in the room, let's turn to this verse in first Timothy one, which says women should not be teaching (laughs) in the church or speaking and we should be silent. And everyone started to laugh and, and I'm not afraid to say, you know, we, 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 we have a change of culture because we're reading the new Testament in 2019 and slavery isn't legal. And you know, there's different roles. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. The difference between policy, culture, and doctrine, but yeah, for me, come follow me has been a beautiful experience, especially to really like dive. I'm so glad we started with the new Testament. Um, just my love of the savior and his, um, I, I, I don't want to be like too bold in saying this, but he was a feminist, you know I mean? He was, he was inviting children and the lepers and the marginalized and women were his, his workers and, and partners and disciples. He sat and counseled with Mary and Martha and, and we see the same with Paul. He talks about Phoebe and, 
and others that, that it's been a beautiful thing for me as a Christian to really like feast upon the new Testament this year. And I'm excited to, to follow the same um, pattern for next year with the book of Mormon. Our family dynamic right now is interesting. We have an almost 16 year old daughter and a son that's away at college, but he's nearby at BYU. And so we see him for Sunday dinners, but come follow me discussion in our home. We rotate who kind of leads it. And, and I would say, even if you can count on one hand, a conversation that happened in your home because of come follow me, that wouldn't have happened the year before, I would say count it as a success, you know? I mean, if your kids have asked one question about the New Testament or learned one new principle about what Christ did when he was on the earth, I I would say let's count that as a win. Because I've heard from many people that have said, I thought we were doing gospel-centered study with scripture study, prayer, and family home meeting. But once we started Come Follow Me, I realized we weren't doing it as much as I thought. And so I think even if we step forward by one step in having these opportunities to open the scriptures and ask questions, I asked this question, gospel doctrine Sunday, I said, are, because I was discussing the, the debate that Paul was addressing, right? With, with Titus and Philemon and the members that were like not ready to say goodbye to the law of Moses, even though Jesus had already come. And, you know, they were struggling because they wanted to debate how women should cover their head and should they eat bacon and, uh, you know, all that. And, and he was spending a lot of time in prison writing letters to kind of squash some of the uprising and the apostasy and the question and the debate. And, and I said, are we a gospel seeking question asking people? Is Sunday school a safe place to say, I'm struggling, you know, and if, if our Sunday school classes aren't that are our homes, at least that, I mean, is it safe in your home to sit down and say, I've got some real questions and even some doubts that are starting to gnaw at me. Um, I hope come follow me has allowed for a number of families to start having that discussion happen. Um, I, I pose the question, what are we doing in our families to create a safer environment for that? And one brother in my ward said the most profound thing. He said, my wife and I have kind of just decided that the way we're going to handle that is it's okay to say, I don't really know. I don't have the answer to that. And that if our kids can hear us say that, like, I don't have all the answers. Maybe together we can wrestle with that. Isn't that profound? Because I, I think we think we know who's having a faith question or crisis, you know. And I don't even know if faith crisis is even um, acceptable vernacular anymore, but I, I think it's one way in which we label this kind of wrestling that we all have. If you're working on your conversion, I hope we're all wrestling with something. You know, if we're not, I always say Laman and Lemuel had a testimony. They saw angels. Nephi was working on conversion and that was messy. You know, he didn't just hear his dad say, I had a dream. He said, okay, Lord, my dad said he had a dream, but could you help me understand what my dad saw? And he received even more. And I, I loved the end of the women's session when President Nelson's like, hey, for the next few months, women, would you please go back and read these DNC sections and petition the Lord to teach you about priesthood power in your life? And I've also been doing that. I'm not doing that on a weekly basis, but on social media once a month, I'm going through that really, really slowly, those DNC 25 and 
and I think it's 84. I don't have all the references in my head right now because I just finished DNC 25. I've loved that, that, that invitation once again from a prophet to say, can the spirit teach me what I need to know? Not what he's saying all of us need to know. So I guess my short response to come follow me is count it as a win. If you had one more gospel discussion in your home than you did the year before, that's what I believe. And that the adversary will constantly be an all or nothing kind of thinker, right? He was very black and white in the war in heaven and he's still very black and white. You're either, you know, hundred percent failing or you're hundred percent perfect. And, and our heavenly father is about grace. You know, I was just with Brad Wilcox speaking in Arizona and we had some antis show up and they were debating him on grace, which I just thought was. So right during the presentation. Yeah. And then they followed him out in the hallway and spent another hour debating him. And afterwards he and I were discussing that experience. And he said, you know, as a whole, I would just say, I talked to a lot of what you would consider traditional evangelical Christians and their concept of heaven is is a very small group if you don't do these certain things and hell is very large a big net you know if you don't accept christ in this way the way they define it then that's it you're damned and he says and i love that the restored gospel is the opposite it's the reverse of that it's a very big heaven with a lot of eternal progression and grace and a very tiny hell i love that yeah and and I and I kind of chuckled inside because I thought, do they know they've just engaged with the Grace Ambassador? That's what I call Brad, the Grace Ambassador. If you haven't watched his YouTube video, which is probably how they found him and came to our private event, um, because if you Google Grace, his I I would call it landmark devotional at BYU really changed the conversation around grace. So are we giving ourselves grace in our families around Come Follow Me? Are we giving ourselves grace in Scripture study and prayer? Or are we just you know, the way I can sometimes get discouraged because I want to, I want to see different fruit and I want it to look a different way. And it usually doesn't. It looks, it looks ambiguous and messy and that's okay. That, that's our heavenly father's hope. He's not panicked. Like, oh, my kids are so messing this up, right? He's, he's an eternal grace, merciful father, in my opinion. I love that. And I think if I understand grace, that isn't comparative in nature. It's just me, God, and and grace as I'm doing my best. And I recognize that, like you start at the beginning of this segment, when you start to compare, that's when it's really hard. And so I like you kind of talked about parents in this section and their responsibility to teach the gospel and come follow me. And yeah, and that can be because the other, the old way was pretty checklist focused and we went to bed every night, but we may not have moved the needle. Yeah. <laughs> we may have felt really good, but this sort of brings the responsibility on us as parents to teach the gospel. And and I like the way that you frame come follow me and just, you know, it's going to be different for every family. Every family. And I have families that tell me that no one read anything that week. They know they can pull one of my videos up. That's 10 minutes. And then the parents are like, that's all we could do that week. And it starts a conversation or they pull up someone else's blog or, or w- like what we do, we rotate it. So my daughter, the week she's in charge, it's a different conversation. And I think as parents, sometimes we think when these new programs are unveiled, that it's all on us. And we have a mighty w- uh, army of youth on the planet today. And they are, uh, when I speak to youth groups, I very rarely change content 
It's not like, oh, I'm speaking to a youth group, so I need to make it all milk. But if I speak to the adults, I'll make it all meat. You know, my favorite groups to speak to are families. We're a stake president. I just did one in in Jordan, West Jordan, a couple weeks ago. And it, it filled the steak center, and it was every age. It was grandparents and young kids and adults. And uh, and as a speaker, that's like an Olympic, you know, uh, effort for me a little bit to make sure I'm touching on things that pull everyone's heart a little. But the content is the same. The youth of that event needed the same scriptural discussions, and they wanted it. It wasn't like they wanted to be talked down to. So if you're feeling overwhelmed as a parent, maybe turn it over to your kids. See what happens because they may surprise you and then you don't feel the burden and they feel an investment and it's not such a struggle and a fight. I like that. I know when we have more adult kids than young kids, but we've tried to rotate it around. We have kids living in Europe um, or overseas this past summer and they at eight in the morning because it was in the evening Sunday time. They'd FaceTime in, and we'd rotate that lesson with um, two kids in particular that lived uh, out, out of overseas, and that was pretty cool. Yeah. But I agree that even younger kids can take the lead. And um, Before we move on, just tell our listeners wh- how many videos you've done and where they can find your videos. So the easiest way to find me is that you thank my mom because she gave me the strangest name on the planet, so I'm super, super easy to find. <laughs> you just go into Google and start trying to type some version of Gaina Lynn And um, my YouTube channel has the full library of, there's a playlist of just come follow me. I also. How many are on there? Do you know off the top of your head? How many you've done? Well, how many weeks for come follow me? I've done one every week. 40, 50, it's November. So just on that playlist, I've done one every week. I also have a Book of Mormon playlist. And they're about 10 minutes each? Yeah, I keep them to 10 minutes. Um, I also have the other platforms I'm working on, like all my podcast stuff and my Women of Worth videos that I'm in and any of those kinds of videos, other people that I've I've done interviews with that are on YouTube. But if you're not a YouTuber and you like to live on Instagram, IGTV is great, and they're all on my account there as well. And just so our listeners know how to spell it. G-A-N-E-L-L-Y-N, two L's. So... Yes, the most... Condi, C-O-N-D-I-E. C-O-N-D-I-E, but my first name alone should probably pull up all (laughs) Twitter and and YouTube and Instagram. And, um, you know, what's great about um, that is the brother Jared and I have a lot in common. The Lord was like, you know, Mahan Ray Moriankamer is too hard to say, so we'll just call him the brother of Jared. So I'm the mother of Cameron and the mother of Brooklyn. That's that's an easier way to remember. Um, let's go to segment two. Yeah. Um, this is the why I stay. Yes. Just go, go, go for it. I, you know, I, I think just like most of your listeners, um, no matter where you stand w- with the church or within your family or wherever you're at, we we have all shared a common human experience as of late. I just saw the statistics where religiously the numbers are dropping and people are leaving um, maybe organized religion the suicide rates are climbing as are divorce rates so from a latter-day saint perspective it's been weighing on my heart the last year or so why 
why there's almost this feeling of a mass exodus, you know, and it can feel that way sometimes. And it's not always accurate. It just depends on the season of your life. But for me, this last year, I've had a number of friends divorce. I've had a number of friends and family leave the church. And I, and I, because of the work I do on suicide prevention with the loss of my sister Meg five years ago, I hear from people every day that are either struggling with suicidal ideation or have lost someone or they're trying to support someone that they love that is struggling. And so uh, given that backdrop, I started to kind of like hyper focus on why I've stayed you know, and I went internally for a while knowing that I don't have all the answers, but I'm who I live with a hundred percent of the time. That's very th- profound. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't have, I, I'm not, I haven't had every experience of those that I may be messaging to, but I started with me and I started to ask myself, you know, I've had struggles in my marriage. I've had struggles within my, I have chronic illness. I have a lupus diagnosis. I did three years of chemotherapy to treat a heart condition. I went through infertility. Like if I could trade my body in for a 2.0, I would do that, you know, and I've done some wrestle with depression, anxiety, and, and the loss of my sister and mental health issues in our family. And so I understand that wrestle as well. And, And then I've also had my own experiences where leadership, church leadership have triggered me or offended. Um, I've read things that make me pause and question. I've watched policies start and change. I've, I've had to ask myself, and especially in the work that I do and the books that I write and the speaking that I do, um, I, I tend to be a safe place for people to say, I'm not okay with this. Why is the church? My funniest thing is when people come to me as if, you know, president Nelson and I are on a first name basis and I'm speaking for the whole entire church. I'm not right. I have friends and family members that think I actually represent the whole church in their life and that that's all it's all I am about. And for me, there is a very clear, um, path of faith that I, hope I don't ever fall off of. But I am old enough now (laughs) to know that we're all about five minutes away. I feel like we're all about five minutes away of our marriages can fall apart, our mental health can fall apart, and our faith can fall apart. So as I've done this and worked on some, some talks and messages specifically around the why, I've realized that when I am clear about my why, specifically if you look at the industry I'm in, I I'm in a very um, highly dense population of speakers and authors. There's a lot of messengers. There's a lot of influencers. There's a lot of podcasters. And we were talking about this before we started taping that the days that I struggle the most are the ones where I start to have my eyes veer off, as Brene Brown says, to the lane next to me. And it can look like my lane, and then I'm drifting over into someone else's lane, and I'm not living my authentic, unique contribution anymore. And I go into comparisons. Well, why does this speaker have this many followers on Twitter, and this person had this many likes on their Instagram post, and this many, this author sold this many books, and right? And then immediately I'm shut down. I have to return to my why. That's what restores me to my lane. This is great stuff. Yeah. So I go back to my why as a speaker and author, and this is no secret. I share it when I speak. It's for the one. I, I will show up to a room of a thousand for one person. 
because I believe that's what the Savior did for me. He would have done everything in the garden just for me if I was the only one. And so I've kept stacks and stacks of messages and emails and letters and cards, and I call it for my one. And uh, I just got one this morning from a speaking event last night. And that, that, that's what I will return to, and it helps restore my soul and gets me out of what I call the weeds, you know? Um, Paul calls it, don't get, I think he says, encumbered about in the genealogies. You know, I think it's, we get caught into the weeds and it's like, well, this isn't looking the way I thought. And I didn't know this about Joseph Smith and my husband is doing this or my wife is not showing up the way I want. So if we take it back to why do I stay in my marriage? Why do I stay in my faith? And why do I stay in my body? Maybe, especially if you're not in a wilderness stage of your life right now in any of those areas, this is a really good time to decide your why. And there's been some really great articulate talks about this subject. I I think of um, Elder Corbridge that gave a pretty landmark devotional at BYU last year about this. And and his job at the church level was to wade through some of all the anti-stuff. And he kind of... required of himself a list of the basics that he didn't stop he didn't keep trying to answer all the secondary questions he just he tried to understand the primary questions sherry dew has also talked about this in her book worth worth the wrestle Uh, she gave a devotional at byu idaho i would highly recommend that where she is honest about her own wrestle around some issues that triggered her in her faith so i it goes back to what we talked about in the first segment. Conversion is messy and it's a work in progress. So for me, my why with the church is my covenants. And that might sound simplistic, but there's amazing religious organizations out there that are not mine. There's wonderful um, philosophical teachings and authors and professors that teach about being a good person and showing up in the world in a very um, kind way and giving back to the universe and all those things. For me, it's, it's my covenants. I often will say, um, if you keep your covenants, they will keep you. And I don't understand all the scientific whys or hows of that. I, I can tell you that as I keep my covenants, um, there's been times it's been harder to do that after Meg, died by suicide, it was not fun to go to church. I would crawl into the temple and I would walk out. I wouldn't skip out. I wouldn't run out of the temple changed and transformed and all the grief was gone. But that practice is a relationship between me and God. And I take it very serious. And there's been times where they feel flat. I think like any relationship If you have a long-term relationship in your life, you can identify times where it feels really nurturing and really connecting and really um, empowering and you're getting a lot out of it. And then there's periods or seasons where it's like, I'm just phoning it in. You know, I'm just showing up because I'm into commitment, not because I'm getting a lot out of this. The same as our relationship with God. You know, Brene Brown gave a great um, message in her church Uh, And you can find it on YouTube where she talks about her wrestle with God and religion. You know, if she was to go to marriage counseling with religion, you know, she would be honest about like, sometimes I'm really good with this parts of your personality and I don't like this part. And, and so there's times I've gone to the temple. I had someone reach out to me last week and says, say, you always post about the temple. It's really inspired me. It's helped me go back, 
but I don't always feel like I'm getting a lot of it. Well, join the club. You know, sometimes I'm showing up just to show up, just like I do with my parenting, just like I do in my marriage, just like I do in my career. And so for me and regarding faith, I'm not projecting this on anyone else. I think Elder Holland said it beautifully. Don't judge my faith based on how I walk it imperfectly. I'm paraphrasing there, but I'm not walking my faith perfectly. I'm just saying that that's my why. Those covenants have created an anchor in my soul, and I want, this is where I can find them, not in another religion. This is where I find my covenants. Um, In my marriage, I've been married 28 years, and I am married to a wonderful man, and we've had really wonderful years and really hard years. And we've had some- So honest. Yeah, we've had some really hard stuff. And um, he said to me the other day, oh, you know- I just love thinking about all those times too, because it does, it's the law of opposition. It's your capacity to feel joy increases as you enlarge in your capacity to feel sorrow. The savior descended below all and ascended above all. So in his complete joy and love, I think we're going to be shocked when heavenly father and the savior are before us and they are just joyful people. They are so joyful. Well, that makes sense because their capacity is for all right? And so I think it's the same in a marriage. Right now, one of the most tender marriage heroes for me are some neighbors of mine. Um, I might get emotional talking about them. Um, She's a few years younger than I am. I'm almost 49. And at the age of 43, she was diagnosed with early Alzheimer's, early onset Alzheimer's. And it has progressed so rapidly that she's pretty much, she's in a wheelchair full time. She, she doesn't recognize most of her family. Um, she'll have moments. She can't take care of herself. She can't really feed herself, do her hair. Her husband up until recently had served through the last few years while she's in this state as Bishop of his ward. And when they are, when I'm near them, I am, I am uh, inspired about what a celestial marriage can be. He brushes her hair. I just talked to his daughter, who who is who I'm more close to, and she says my dad makes sure she gets her nails done and her hair done, and he he takes full care of her all the time. And as I watch them, I'm inspired because I guarantee you his needs are not being met. You know, he's not showing up in his marriage because everything is, is is exactly as he had dreamed it would be. He's showing up out of love, and she's not right now, maybe spiritually she is aware, but cognizantly she's not aware of who's around her and what's happening right now. Heart, heartbreaking as you think about it, but when I watch them, especially as they interact in church when they come to visit our ward, I can't hold the tears back because to me it's such an example of what marriage can be and how hard it is. And I think we live in a culture right now where we expect a lot out of our marriages. You know, I mean, back in the 1800s, it was survival, right? Like who you're married to helps you like have a house and food, (laughs) you know? And if you happen to get along with each other, that was like a bonus, right? 
And now marriage is like, are you my guru? Have you like, is your vision board in alignment with my vision board? Are we spiritually and religiously on the same page? Do we parent in the same way? Are we both on a keto diet? Like, I mean, it's like, I'm, I'm a little tongue in cheek, but I see posts all the time. I just saw one a few weeks ago that really added some fuel to this fire for me where this couple was getting divorced and I don't need to be a judge. I'm not called as a judge in Zion, but they were celebrating they were divorced and they were celebrating how they had journeyed together and gotten everything out of each other they needed to. And so they set the intention to joyfully divorce each other as well. And they were just so happy that they had come to the end of their journey and they were departing now. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I thought, you know, it brought me back to these other friends and I thought, you know, what if, (laughs) what, what happened to that? We, we, we are, we are loyal and we are committed and I am not, please don't misinterpret what I'm saying here to say that you stay where there's abuse. You stay when there's constant betrayal, you stay even in the midst of addiction where a partner is not willing to get help. I am not oversimplifying the complexities of marriage. Please understand that if I, if I had the time, I would tell you the personal stories along those lines. And, and I validate that there's real reason for divorce. My parents were divorced back in the olden days when, you know, no one in the church really was. And so I understand the reality of that, but we, we definitely live in a, I have an app for that and there's fast food drive-throughs. And I think there's a little bit of that showing up in our, our expectations of marriage. And I just, I hope I continue to take the long view in my marriage. Um, and I pray my husband does, you know, because we're not the same people of 30 years ago. We are definitely married to two different people and we are different people. And the, and the unifying factor in our marriage has been the savior. You know, I mean, that's who we have tried to grow towards. Um, but at, any moment we've been in various different places. And so I guess, I guess just finally in the same subject, why I stay in my body, you know, I mean, this will be my passionate topic for the rest of my breathing life on the planet. I will always talk about suicide. Last night I shared this and that's the letter I got today. Um, our bodies are a glory. Our bodies are imperfect acne, wrinkled, arthritic, depressed, addicted, MS suffering, lupus suffering, Alzheimer's suffering, bodies, high cholesterol, whatever. All of our bodies are actually a glory added upon us. And it is a glory that the adversary doesn't have. I have been saying for a number of years, stay in your body and that Satan attacks what he doesn't have, faith, family, and bodies. And Elder Bednar stood up in October conference and said something similar. Um, So I'm very passionate about saying, I validate you if you have long-term depression or anxiety and you're exhausted. I totally see you in that exhaustion. But we need you to stay. Because your mission's not done. And the things that you're learning in that struggle, I promise you will be a gift and a blessing to someone else. And that body of yours that you want to trade in for, for whatever reason, right? My sister got tired after 40 years of fighting through this very mortal experience for her. Basically, the short answer of why she took her life was she got tired. 
Um, but I know that she and many others that have passed that way, the moment they passed, realized that was one decision that they could have taken back, they would have taken back. So she continues to progress. You know, I mean, one of the other missions I feel like I have is to kind of demystify the damnation we used to teach with suicide. It's just not true. I mean, um, if you think about what our spirits struggle with, our bodies, I like to allegorize it. I don't know if that's the right way you say it. It's good. Okay. That the mouse on your computer, like if the battery's ever going on your mouse and you can still see the arrow on the computer screen and you're trying to move it, but you don't know the battery's died in your mouse. Have you ever had that? Yes. And you try to like put your finger on the computer screen to move the, and then you realize, oh my gosh, the mouse battery needs to be changed. And that's why the arrow's not moving. And you know, that's how I still use my mouse. I don't use my, on my laptop mouse. Right. Um, I really see this body that God has gifted me with is that mouse. And it, it facilitates my spirit, which is the arrow on the screen. And sometimes my batteries need to be changed. You know, it's not moving my spirit in the direction I need it to go because it's very mortal and it's very fragile at times and it's very imperfect. But it is still a glory and a gift. It still allows that arrow to be moved. And so I know that as my sister continues to wrestle with what she experienced here on earth, she is progressing. That's what we're taught in the restored gospel. Um, and she's watched the grieving left behind. That's, I think, one of the most tender things I hear from readers and people I speak to or hear me on media, um, that they thought they, they would be a, a gift to others if they passed because they were now a burden. They had nothing else to offer. So if you can hear my voice and you've heard my voice before, um, please stay in your body. We need you. I love that. And I'm, join with you, stay in your body. Even if you feel like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, there's no hope, I just invite you to stay. Stay for another day. Um, and I do believe it gets better and there will be a light and hope. Um, talk about, before we move on from this segment, just the difference between policy, doctrine, uh, and culture. I love this right now. This has become a new awareness this year. And I think probably in light of I think I came to really hyper-focus on this idea pre the policy reversal that happened this year. Um, and then the policy reversal happened and it just re reinforced for me how crucial it is that God is, is wanting and needing to create Zion, a pliable people. What do I mean by that? The, the children of Moses <laughs> spent 40 years in the wilderness going within, I don't know what the mileage was. It was like three or four miles. I don't even know, seven miles to the promised land. Like it was not a long distance, but there was a lot of wandering because the generations had to die away basically because they were not a pliable people. The city of Enoch started in a very dark place and eventually was translated because they were a pliable people. If you've been reading or listening to the saints book, it is a gift because it's the nuanced relationships. It's the failings. It's the foibles of humanity. It's the, instead of these like um, whitewash versions of characters of church history, we're seeing kind of the nuances of why Orson did this and Parley did that and Joseph was this way and Hiram was that and the Emma struggled here. Like you can see like, oh, all the banking system failed. Like, okay. Let's translate that. 
maybe for us, that would be a test for us as well. What if all of our tithing and our life savings were at the church office, you know, and it all failed, you know, right? Would we stick around and show up and sustain the bishop on Sunday? That would be a test. Be a test. Yeah. And then, and I, and I don't need to get into big, I'm not a, an expert on church history. I know some amazing experts on church history and they're some of my go-to people if I have a question, but I would say, um, culturally speaking, some of the things we read about Joseph Smith culturally were acceptable across the board in the 1800s. There were young marriages. I mean, just to take one thing. I think go back to Old Testament time. Children of Israel were told you should never eat pork. Forget ham sandwiches and BLTs. But wine and polygamy were good with that. God was fine with that. Okay, pliable people here, right? Fast forward 2019, God's like, I am so cool with bacon on your hamburger, you know? But please stay away from the wine. So is that a culture or a policy? So I, I believe it's both. I think okay. if you look at the children of Israel, those that were writing and petitioning Paul were struggling because the law of Moses had been fulfilled and encompassed in the gospel of Christ, and they weren't ready to get rid of some of the culture that was associated with the law of Moses. And Paul in some of the letters are like, okay, you want to get a divorce? Okay, if you want to get a divorce. I mean, okay, you want to eat the food that's on the altar of the temples? Okay, because this isn't the same thing anymore. So some of it was had become their culture. But I really think if you look at like polygamy or or word of wisdom stuff, those are policy changes. You know? And I think as you look through the last three years alone and the changes that have happened, um, I've heard some people really struggle. Like other people were rejoicing when witnessing in the temple was expanded to women. Rejoicing. I had the first opportunity I had. It was the most tender experience of my life. But there was a part of my spirit that felt like it had always been so. And as that current revelation happens and people may struggle, well, why wasn't it always this way? And, and I know that the presentation of the endowment may continue to change. And so that can force some of us to go to our knees and say, Heavenly Father, then why wasn't it like that before? Right? Garments looked a certain way in the 1800s because culturally speaking, clothing looked different. Right? And yet, are the markings and the covenants intact? In yes. And so I think we need to understand that our Heavenly Father understands both the culture and the policy. And he understands what is crucial in the doctrine. So the next time something gets changed or revisited or revised or something is showing up constantly in your ward, because the other thing that I would suggest is we've had some lessons in Sunday school this last year with Kambalmi that in certain areas of the country, the conversation was very different than maybe it would have been in New York City that same Sunday. Well, why is that? What is that? Is that policy? Is that doctrine? No, that's culture. That's a Sunday school lesson in New York City in Manhattan around certain topics this year in Come Follow Me were probably handled very differently than the same Sunday school lesson happening regionally in the Midwest. And is Heavenly Father okay with all of that? Yeah. 
because he's also trying to help us become. And so he's given us a very long rope. He's not panicked like, oh my gosh, my children, they're just messing everything up. And I also believe he allows us to mess them up. I mean, I have lived long enough as an, as a member, active member of the church as an adult, paying tithing, serving and callings, not as a little kid in primary where your perspective of what church leadership is, is very skewed. Like you think all missionaries are ageless and now I think they're all babies, right? You know, and, and bishops and stake presidents and general authorities and everyone sitting in the big chairs and conference have this like whitewashed perspective. You're old enough to realize there's personalities involved. There's humanness involved that the Lord is uh, revealing at certain levels, certain things, and he's allowing things to unfold in a way that help, um, a, a church culture develop as well. And sometimes it's painful. You know, I think, I don't know if you and I have talked about this privately, but the policy of a few years ago was very painful for very large numbers of members of the church and, and, and was a testing ground. And then the reversal of that policy was painful for everyone because then it caused them to say, well, are we really being led by a prophet on earth? And what does that all mean? And, and in some of the conversations with my dearest friends that happen to also be LGBT and Q, um, they've shared with me that as they wrestled through that and some of them chose to stay and some of them chose to not stay, that there's a change in the culture because the original policy started conversations. And now the reversal of the policy this many years later, the culture has changed in some of the congregations to where they now feel comfortable being very open about their sexual identity or their gender identity. But pre the first policy, conversations weren't happening. Isn't that an interesting concept to think that the Lord may allow a wilderness experience for his whole church or for an individual congregation through imperfect leadership or within a family so that we are more pliable. Because I, I think God wants that more than anything because the scriptures say that. The scriptures say the only thing we really have to give God is a broken contrite heart. That's it. Everything else is already his, and we're stewards over it. And so as we continue to have modern revelation, there's a difference between restoration of the church and restoration of all things. That's great. There's not restoration of all things yet. And so I think President Nelson saying take your vitamins is is an accurate warning because, and that's I think also why he's counseled that we develop um, a spiritual muscle of personal revelation because the Lord is big enough for our questions. <laughs> he's, he's, he's okay that we're wrestling and he will sit with us. I think one of, and let's go on to the next segment. I think one of the legacies of President Nelson will be, um, I don't, th- I, to continue to take our vitamins, I think subsequent prophets in our church will follow his lead. I don't think that he's going to be, this is just going to be a singular experience. I think he's teaching us that the restoration is an ongoing thing, that it's not complete, and I think he's training us to, that this is part of being in a restored church, which I think is good. So I look at subsequent prophets um, following his lead. Talk about the Reconnect podcast. Um, Let's spend about five or ten minutes on that because I want to make sure. Let's spend five minutes on that, the Reconnect podcast. That's a really um, 
the TV and radio, the TV and radio work I do is non-denominational and isn't always faith focused specifically. I mean, I always, I always say I'm a package deal. You get me and God kind of wherever you're at, whether you're a business group or, um, a local television station. And the reconnect podcast really came about, um, it's sponsored by the Anasazi foundation currently. And we, we film at the Sturry studios in North Salt Lake, which means we have video and audio, not just podcast audio. And so if you're like more into watching a video on Facebook or YouTube, you, you can see, um, the guests that come on. I do many episodes that are just me sharing a message, whether it's on boundaries or forgiveness or comparisons, but I've loved having this platform because it's non-denominational and I grew up being the only token member of the church, you know? And so I, I socialized with everyone that worshiped differently than me and looked differently than me. So this feels really fun to have conversations that allow us to still bring our faith in, but it may be different faith perspectives, but it all centers around connection. And the reason we named it the reconnect podcast is because we're all in series of levels of connection with others that we love and ourselves all day long. And then we're out of connection and then we're reconnecting. And so it's a very hopeful title for me because we fall out of connection. We fall out of connection with our spirits, with our maker, with our spouse, with our kids, with our coworkers uh, in, in various ways all the time, but there's always a way to reconnect. And so I've invited therapists on, I've invited, um, the lieutenant governor has been on, and that was one of my favorite. Jenny Taylor, Major Taylor's wife, we're just hitting wow. the year mark. That was one of my very favorite episodes to talk with her wow. about grieving and about patriotism. And and so I, I, I love that there's this place that we can just talk about. Connection is kind of a buzzword right now. Authenticity is a buzzword right now. And, and I like to take the complex or the abstract and make it more of of a concrete actionable concept in my life. And so I love to take the idea of connection. What does that really look like? What does it really look like if your child comes out as gay? What does connection look like there? What does connection look like if you come from a family where there's been addiction and, and we've had Jason Coombs on and he's started the brick house recovery and he's a recovering addict. And so what does connection look like within the, within the realm of addiction and what does, um, connection look like we had the new norm on and and she jessica was wonderful and she talked a lot about what do we do with technology how do we navigate connection around all this techno technology we have specifically what do we do with our kids and technology and connection and and then we had um meg johnson on and her her sister was emily from the emily effect and we talked about postpartum anxiety and we have a pretty extensive library up and and I, the first few episodes, they're not released in chronological order, but the first few episodes I was trying to navigate, how, how do I make this authentically, um, true to who I am and how I see the world without it being constantly a reference to my faith. And then I realized that that faith is one of, one of the major tools in my life that I navigate connection through. And so I don't, I say from the onset, we've gotten a a little bit of hate mail at times that like not everyone defines God the way I define God. And, and I just say that from the outset, I, I love hearing about, we, we had one guest and this episode is still coming out about 
um, race relations and, and how that's a very, you know, unique experience depending on what area of the world you live in. And, and that culturally, you know, religion looks different in certain cultures. And so I would love to have with all your podcast choices out. And this is one of, one of my favorite podcasts, Richard, you know, that, that I love your podcast and I, I love being a small part of this community that you've worked so hard to develop. But yeah, I, I hope that the conversations I'm having with guests just facilitate connection and, and reconnecting. Cause we all have to stop and say, hmm, I think I've, I think I've let that ball drop and it's time to reinvest in that relationship or in that area of my life. I love it. And I think I, when I see a new podcast coming on board, I just makes me happy because I think the more, the better. Yeah. I've always felt like that. And I know podcast is a growing industry with more people coming online and I've just, that makes me happy because I think people need to communicate or hear the content that you're sharing. So I invite all our listeners to check out the reconnect podcast. It's on all the, we have a, we have a landing page and we have a Facebook page that we finally decided we needed one clearinghouse place because it's on all the platforms and YouTube as well. So Correct. you can, you can go there and find whatever your platform is that you prefer to listen and view. We probably are on it. That's awesome. Talk about in our last segment, um, since you speak to so many millennials, you're raising millennials. Yes. <laughs> you um, have them in your home for activities and um, just talk to our listeners. Bring us, bring to life millennial Latter-day Saints. Well, anyone that follows me on social media has probably over the years seen posts about what we call our PMG group. And now we have renamed it the PMG after group. And that PMG starts, stands for preach my gospel. My son, a few years before he graduated high school and left on his mission and, and, and another friend, we kind of started this little PMG group where teenagers would just flood our basement every Sunday. And over a year period of time, it grew to about 40, 45 kids would show up. And many of them we had never met. They just heard about this group and they would show up on a Sunday night and we would discuss preach my gospel for about 90 minutes. We'd have really honest discussions around addiction and faith and, and gender identity and all those those things that teenagers are living that every day. I think as adults, sometimes we forget what it's like to walk down the hallway of a high school or a junior high and all of what the world is like in those realms. And so we really opened our home to a place where the spirit could be. It wasn't our calling. We weren't assigned to do it. The kids didn't have to be there. And it was a beautiful experience. And a good majority of those kids, um, reported later that that was like an anchor for them. Many of them had stopped going to church for various reasons or weren't sure about serving a mission and weren't sure about their faith. And that helped create a safe place for them to ask the hard questions and have the spirit be there and navigate that. And they went out and they went on missions and many of them have returned from missions and many of them have gotten married. And one by one over the last couple of years, they've all returned to our front doorstep on a Sunday, usually knocking on the door, just missing that connection and missing that opportunity to sit and discuss the gospel in really authentic, vulnerable ways that make the gospel what it was intended to be. The Lord gave us scripture and prophets and and a church organization, which is very different than the gospel, right? A church organization as as vehicles to help us on our faith journeys. And so they were all kind of searching one by one. And 
when a majority of them had all returned or kind of settled and gotten married, we realized, and our son came home a year ago, that there's something missing in that millennial era for them. They're no longer, many of them aren't preparing for something. They're not showing up on weekly Wednesday night youth activities. They're not living always in their homes where there's a safety net and some accountability. And they're, I call them baby adults and I'm raising one. I have a soon to be 22 year old. That's a return missionary as of a year ago from Zimbabwe, Africa. And I've watched him as he's navigated this post mission life, which Statistically speaking, 60% of return missionaries two years after returning do not have a current temple recommend. And if you think about this um, from a like neurological standpoint, the frontal cortex isn't fully developed till 25. And so if you think of that post-mission life, that's a generalization because I know not all your listeners within that age range served a mission. But that's still, whether you served a mission or not, you're navigating faith, career, dating, socializing, your own traditions, what you grew up with, are you going to keep those? And your brain is still developing. And so what we've kind of seen is that we needed something more. And so we started again a PMG. Now we call it PMG after, after high school, after mission and after marriage. And we only do it once a month and it's the first Sunday. Anyone listening to this is welcome to message me on social media. I And I'm very serious about that. We just had our November gathering. We had um, over 30 and 40% of those were people I'd never met in my life. Um, last month in October, we had our first transgender uh, person come and it, it was one of the most spiritual sacred gatherings of the PMG gatherings that we've had. My husband and I believe we built the basement exactly for this reason. Um, we pull out all the folding chairs. Everyone grabs a blanket or some seat or chair lay on the floor and, and we discuss the gospel. I share that as an, an answer to your question because I do one of my most favorite demographics to speak to is this YSA millennial group. Because they have some life experience. They're no longer the teenage kids that are kind of kicking and screaming, coming to Sunday school or seminary, that you're telling them about the dragons that are out there, but they don't have any context for that. They, they kind of believe you. They've kind of seen it, but they're not, they're still like, there's still a safety net. They're still going home. Someone's making sure there's a roof over their head and laundry done and food, right? And then my son will often say now things he fought us on. He went to Africa for two years and all of a sudden we were much smarter than he remembered. We were, we were much kinder than he remembered. We had a lot more going for us. You know, Africa has a beautiful way of putting some things in alignment. Um, but, but we've wrestled as parents to know how I keep getting asked, when are you going to write a book on parenting this, this age group? And I say, I'm doing it right now. So give me a little more practice time because I don't have the right formula. We go to our son a lot and say, have we done too much of supporting you? I love the way you go to him and ask that question. We do. We do. We say to him, Cameron, are we like, are we helping too much or not enough? Because to be honest with you, I looked around before he came from home from his mission. I was panicked. Because I knew he was coming back from a two-year, very singular, focused experience to now all of this other stuff that he's having to navigate. And there's something about just focusing on Christ every day that is very joyful. And then you've got to come back into the world and try to navigate what does your faith look like? What are you going to do to keep cultivating that experience for yourself? And, and then... And, and I know he's been honest about this, but every college kid that's come into our home has said the same thing. And every college group I've spoken to has said, 
I thought I had changed. I thought I had gotten over this addiction and this thing. And and then I came back and a lot of that all came back. Yeah, well, welcome to conversion, right? Conversion is an ongoing process. And so one of the things that we have said to him is, please tell us, we've never done this. You're our firstborn. So we we don't quite know where the lines are sometimes. But it's so beautiful, this monthly gathering that we've had. Um, I don't get anything out of this, by the way, you know, I mean, we, we feed these kids and they come and what they, what, what I see them do is they're wrestling with now context. It's all the stuff they heard in Sunday school. It's all the stuff they heard in the MTC. It's all the stuff they felt from their parents as important. And now they're seeing it play out. And so when they have a conversation around like this last week, my son read an excerpt from C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters. And it's where the devils are sitting around talking about that human frailty of cycling where we're doing really well. And then we fall and then we do really well when we fall and we do really well when we fall. And I talk about this in my CD, you're already walking on water where Peter's walking on water and then he gets afraid and he falls but that that is the cycle of our lives. It's walking on water, falling, reaching for the Savior, rising back up and walking again. And as I watched these young adults talk about that process, you could feel all of their shoulders just relax. Because what we all are wired for is connection. And so all of a sudden, like all of us, we are susceptible to thinking we are the only one. We are the only one messing up our lives. We're the only one having struggles with our grades. We're the only ones dealing with depression, anxiety, insecurity, acne, dating, and all of that. We're the only ones questioning whether God is even listening to our prayers. And you put a few people together in a home or in a Sunday school class or in a seminary class or wherever, invite the spirit to be there. If it's authentically, vulnerably led, those discussions change you because you look across the room and you go, you too? Really? You're feeling the same thing. And I, I watch it every time we gather with these millennials, they are feeling a different kind of isolation. And I had a, a church leader high up recently asked me why, why is it so much harder, um, for them now? What's going on? And I said to this church leader, um, well, think about your twenties, what you were questioning, what you were wrestling with. You didn't have Twitter and Facebook telling you what everything that was happening at a rapid speed. So in some ways there was this delay or a little bit of a bubble around those questions, those wrestles, those big decisions you have to make. It was a little bit like neutralized or numbed because it was almost happening within just what you, your group of friends or your cousin that you once in a while saw at a family dinner or who raised their hand in school and said something. Now it's playing out. And, and they're trying so to... So is the answer to separate from social media? I don't think so, because I don't think that's the reality. I think it's using it as a tool, and just like a hammer we don't carry around all the time, right? We don't carry a tool around a hammer and say, oh, this is just in case I can see a nail that needs hammering. We set the tool down in the toolbox, and we use it when we need it. I loved President Owens in October General Conference admitting as general young men's president that he sat down to study his scriptures and, got sidetracked and sidetracked on. for an hour, that kind of vulnerability from the pulpit. I, I, that's so refreshing and it was so validating for me. And I, and I, and the same church leader I was discussing this with said, well, you know, something about th- that exact question. And I, and I said, listen, do you as an adult feel like you're managing social media? Well, 
I mean, as an adult, are you getting distracted by your own technology? Well, yeah. I said, so can you imagine then add the fact that their brains aren't fully developed? They're making some of these big life decisions. They're testing their own faith and conversion because that's the pattern God really wanted for us, right? The fa failing pattern was the way we were going to learn. And then you add on top of that, this like rapid pace. I just heard science, you know, when we say, oh my gosh, time is going so fast. How is it already Christmas? It's actually true. I just read a scientific study about this, that the universe is actually the energy because it's rapidly changing. It's actually fueling itself and it is speeding up. So the change in the universe is actually going faster, whether that's in climate or whatever. I'm not a scientist. That feeling is actually happening. I just heard from a, a scriptorian, ex-mission president, temple president, said this in a Sunday school class Sunday. He said, the good news is this. They were talking about Paul and the end of the world and the last days and fighting and all of that. And he said, the good news is Jesus is coming. The bad news is Jesus is coming. And I think as our, as our millennial brothers and sisters are near us, they could teach us some things, but they need to have space. That's why Come Follow Me, gospel-centered instruction, church-supported, is crucial for this time. Invite a millennial over for Sunday dinner. You don't have to start a PMG after group every month, but invite a college kid over for a home-cooked meal and, and ask them how they're doing. Ask them, when was the last time you had a priesthood blessing? Give them a hug. I'm, I'm a big proponent. If you hear me speak and you come up to talk to me after, you will get an eight-second hug because neurologically, eight-second hugs change your neurological response. But these millennials are out there trying to be adults. And, and I think one of the th mistakes we make is the minute they graduate high school, we, some of the people I've watched as parents say, okay, you're raised, you're on your own go. And then others say, I'm going to still totally take care of you, dictate everything in your life. My husband and I are trying to do something in the middle where we haven't abandoned our child who's a baby adult, but we're not trying to totally take over and not give him the space to find out who he wants to be and how he wants his life to look. And so I think we have a responsibility. I think those of us that have already lived through the 20s, uh, I think we have an opportunity to invite a 20-year-old something over and just say you have a safe place here. I I value the people ahead of me on the trail. I mean, any of my friends that are just a little ahead of me on the trail that are already grandparents, that have already gotten kids married off, and I'm always asking them questions, and they're a value to me. So maybe we need to turn around and check around us and see what millennial is around us. And they have amazing gifts I mean, they were prepared for a time such as this. God was like, I just did a tweet about this. I don't know if you saw it, Richard, where I said, I'm pretty sure the pioneers on the other side are having parades for us. I think they're having pioneer day on the reverse. They're, they're saying, let's have a holiday up here and have a parade for all of our brothers and sisters on earth still that are navigating Snapchat, you know, and TikTok and Twitter and a, a president of the United States who's on Twitter. I mean, right? Like the wagon pull was probably pretty painful. I, I don't know if I could have done no shoes walking across the plains or gone through what our early pioneers went through. But, but their struggle wasn't more than what our kids and our millennials are trying to do today. 
and it's rapid fire. So I think they're cheering us on. I think they're saying, you know what? Yeah, we had it tough and we laid some foundations for you, but God got us ready for this. So I have a lot of hope when I'm around millennials, they inspire me. They ask hard questions. They're wrestling with stuff. They're living real life. They're trying to be responsible. They're trying to figure out their faith. They're doing all the stuff we're doing, but they're hopeful too about the future. And they have that desire to like get it right, you know, and marry the right person and do the right thing. And what's the pattern and everyone else looks like they got the internship and they're on full scholarship. And, and the reality is, you know, you and I are old enough to know that it still looks like that. Sometimes it still looks like all of our neighbors, their kids are flourishing, their retirement's intact, right? They, their health is better than they're all going on vacation. And so I, I don't know if the comparisons ever stop, but millennials need, need a little bit more of our respect and we need to give a little bit of us around them and say, you have an open door here. You can come, come back to home base and then we believe in you go out there and keep doing it. But you can always come back here and recenter and reconnect and go back out. I love, um, we're at the end of the segment on that and really the end of the podcast, but I love the format for your PMG after just come follow me or however someone wants to name that and that you don't have a, you know, a speaker, a big formal no. lesson. You're just starting with, in this case, the CS quote and just as a starting point and then letting the spirit guide. But I think um, we learn by teaching. We learn by talking. I think our format, I sort of wondered if we should back in home teaching days and that's discontinued if we should have called it home listening because <laughs> yeah. I thought we could almost do better if my goal was not to just teach a lesson leave but my goal was actually to listen it and, probably and would I have probably been... thought I could have accomplished more yeah um, but that back to your checkbox point so I love what you're teaching any What's the any final thing you'd like to share with our listeners before we close? Well, I think to just tag on to what you just said, I think if we had called it home or visiting, listening, the jump back to ministering that we're doing now, we've lost everybody. Everyone's confused on what ministering should look like. And I think this podcast is a beautiful starting point for, do you know what's in the heart and the mind of the person that's been assigned to you? Because really, Zion is being of one heart and one mind. And if you don't have a conversation with someone and ask them, where are you at? How are you doing? What's on your heart and mind? You don't know. And back in the day when we called it home teaching and visiting teaching, we had a checklist. We knew we were supposed to show up on a monthly basis and that there was a printed lesson in the ensign. And that's what we were supposed to do. And all that changed was, can you still show up but you don't have to show up in this way, but, but we're not showing up now. It, it almost like, and, and once again, I'll go back to what I've said multiple times on this episode. God's not panicked, but we're in a little bit of a growth spirit here right now. This growth time is, have you even had a conversation with the person or family you're assigned to? And that conversation could be a Marco Polo. It could be a text. That's what changed. And so I would say whether it's millennials, whether it's your teens, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your bishop, I mean, have you in tithing settlement at the end of the year, have you asked your bishop how he's really doing? You know, are we, are we creating Zion? Because I believe gospel interpretation according to Gaina Lynn, okay, 
is that the, ch- the world is wicked enough for Jesus to come back, but the righteous are not united in a Zion community yet for him to come, and he needs a place to come back to. And Zion, to me, is diverse and messy and connected and vulnerable. That's, for me, what Zion feels like. So if you're lucky enough to have an LGBT member in your ward, you better you better be saving them a seat in Sunday school because my LGBT friends have taught me about Jesus and covenants like no one else. Um, if you're, if you have someone in your ward that has courageously admitted they struggle with depression or anxiety, um, and you get to minister to them. Wow. That's to me, those are the open doors to creating Zion and we're doing better. I mean, I think sometimes we hear the horrible stories. We see the posts of where I showed up and people were mean to me, but I'm also hearing the other side. I get invited I get 10 to 12 speaking requests a week from stakes and wards and schools and businesses that want to start having these conversations now. Five years ago, Richard, my, my first book came out, I Can Do Hard Things With God. People weren't talking about that. And now there's books all the time out there. And, and there's conversations around these vulnerable topics that are so good. good. And they're leading us to Zion. They're not destroying Zion. So I guess in closing, I would just say that whether it's come follow me and inviting a single mom in your ward to come to your house to have it, or it's struggling with why you're staying in your marriage and you go to a therapist and you wrestle through that and then you help your neighbor who's now wrestling, or it's ministering to a college kid that you happen to know that's post mission and back struggling with their addictions and you knew him back when and you invite him over for Sunday dinner, all of that is building Zion. And I don't know about you, but if we could vote on this podcast, I'm ready for Jesus to come. I don't have it all figured out, but one thing I know about about my Savior is that he doesn't expect my perfection. He wants to have an intimate relationship with me today, right where I'm at. And so that's it. I think ministering is Ruth and Naomi walking together when they were grieving and refugees. And they had lost everything. They stayed together when they had every reason to stay apart. They chose to stay together. And because they chose to stay together and walk, they took a really crummy job. And that led to a marriage, which led to a baby, which led to another baby, which led to the Savior. And so in our grief, in our depressions, in our anxieties, in our vulnerabilities, in our sexual identity questions, whether we're wrestling with our our budgets and our, our something we read about church history, like staying together to me is the key to creating Zion. And, and I think that's beautiful. I'm so grateful. God had a plan that included us being together, not apart. Thank you, sister Gaina Lynn Condi for just enlightening us and your thoughts and your inspiration and your spirit and your insights. And I'm just lifted. And I think our listeners are lifted and I love us coming together and sharing our experiences and how we need each other. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler.